Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm your host, Robin, and I'm here with Dawn, Katie, and Lindy. And at Storytellers Live, our prayer is that you would meet God in a new way through these stories, that you would know that you're not alone, and that walls would be broken down and community would be built. Today, we have Toby from Statesboro, Georgia. That's right, Robin. Well, Toby just takes us directly into her story as she tells us about the day that her life was changed forever. And that was the day that her husband was in a tragic accident and became a quadriplegic. Toby tells us about her struggles, of course, with that. She talks about all God has taught her. But most importantly, she tells us how to help care for somebody who has walked through a tragedy. Um, I know that it really spoke to me, and I think it's going to speak to many others. And you know, it's interesting. There are times when having storytellers all over the country, we kind of get a grouping of stories with with a really similar topic. And we know that we have had several stories recently of loss and difficulty and tragedy. And it's, it's interesting to watch how God does that. And so when he does, we just trust his timing. And so we do recognize that there have been several of these podcasts recently. But what is amazing to us is that every single one has such a different perspective and how God showed up in each of their stories in just such a different way. And here's Toby's story. All right. I'm usually not somebody that's open to share, um, particularly in a small group. So this was definitely um, something that was led by God because I'm, that's just not who I am. I'd rather you not know anything and, and not think of me as, you know, you feel sorry or pity or anything like that. So um, if I could get up here faceless and nameless, that is what I would rather do because I don't want it to be me that's seen or heard. I want it to be only God <laughs> that you see or hear. I want you to know him better at the end of what I'm going to say. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background. I was born in Savannah, and I was raised by a Christian mom. Um, She always had us in church. It was always a big part of our life. My parents were married in the beginning. Um, My dad wasn't really very present, um, and he was self-employed. He kind of worked just enough to make ends meet, and that's about um, the extent of his involvement in our life. And my mom stayed home with us. Um, There's three of us. I have two brothers, one older, one younger. She knew that God's call was for her to be a stay-at-home mother, so her faith and trust were in God to carry us through um, those years of uncertainty. Um, When I was 12, my dad left for the final time. His ways continued. He was never, like, he was not co-parenting. He was not contributing very much. We saw him, but it was just not regular. And I I love my dad very much, Um, and this is just a small part of who he was, and there's a lot of background to him that you know, that led to to him being the father that he, the kind of father that he was. And he is, when I was 21, he passed away. But, um, so I don't, I don't want to dishonor him in telling you these things. I just want you to know because it's important later. So my mom depended on God for everything, not just, you know, financial, but emotional and spiritual leadership, um, came from God for her. Um, and she clung to that and, and taught us from as long as I can remember who God was and that he loved us. Um, My teenage years, I was rebellious, probably starting around age 15 or so, and it got worse and worse. And I probably took a lot of years off of my mother's life because of my ways. But anyway, I just, my choices were not Christ-centered. They were centered for either to please me or somebody else. And around age 23, um, I had had enough of living that lifestyle, and I knew something had to change. I had, I lived on my own with roommates, 
I moved back home with my mom. I didn't really have a plan, but I was struggling really bad with anxiety from all the abuse that I had put my mind and body through during that, those rebellious years. And I knew that, I, that something had to change, and I picked up a Bible, and um, I just kind of talked to God, and I said, I know this is the time that I have to surrender or I'm going to continue to feel like this, and I'll, I'll, that's not what I wanted anymore. So from that day on, things changed for me. Not perfect. I'm a sinner, um, but I have a Savior that I, that I rely on now. And he gave me the verse um, in those days, Isaiah 41.10, which is what's on the card tonight. And that has stayed with me. Through, that's kind of like my life verse. The reason that I give you all this background is because I know for sure that, that all of that was a part of God's plan. He allowed me to be raised by a mother who I visually saw her on her knees praying for our needs, and then I watched our needs be met and probably didn't even realize at a, as a child that that was happening. But later on, I, you know, I put that together. You know, that was God um, meeting that need. He was just, you know, he was making sure that I knew that I knew that I knew where um, my help came from whenever it was my turn to need that. So this is where my story really starts. That's the end of my background. Um, my husband, Trey, and I married in 2006, and we have three kids. They're now 15 10 and 7. Um, the oldest is a boy and the other two are girls and I could do like, you know, just keep talking about them all night long. <laughs> in 2013, we were kind of right on track in life. We had bought a house, an older house that we both loved and kind of wanted to make it our own. That was our plan. We moved in in October of 2013 and um, our story starts in December. It was kind of mid-December and um, Trey got a two-week vacation. He worked at Gulfstream. Um, he got a two-week vacation right at um, around Christmas, and um, that was always a fun time for us because we we li we we liked to be together. He liked to be with the kids, and you know, if he was off work, we were usually all you know hanging out together. I was blessed with a husband who is a daddy. He loves being with his kids. He coached soccer and t-ball. He was involved in Boy Scouts. He was at all the school events and Christmas programs, and he was a um, good provider and protector. And he was a spiritual leader. For our family. So December 10th of that year, 2013, um, he left for work. He started at 5 a.m., so he left our house around 4.15 or so. Um, at 6 o'clock that morning, I woke up to a phone call um, that came from Memorial Hospital, and they told me that uh, my number had been found in the phone of somebody who had been involved in an accident and was now at Memorial, and they needed me to come down to help identify this person. I did not know what that meant, and I asked a lot of questions. They wouldn't give me any answers. I kept asking and asking, and finally the, the guy I was talking to on the phone asked if my husband worked at Gulfstream, and I said, yes, he does, and he said, well, then you need to get here as soon as possible, and um, he would not tell me if he was alive or dead or anything else or, you know, if there was a badge with his name, nothing. I just had to come. I was, you know, pretty sure at that point that it was him. I called my father-in-law, who lived a little bit closer, and he started that way, and then I called a neighbor who I barely knew, and she came um, and drove me to the hospital. I'd called her to sit with my kids, but she saw me and she was like, mm, no, my mom's coming to sit with your kids. I'm going to drive you. So we started to the hospital. We put my mom up on the way. While we were en route to the, so this was morning rush hour traffic at this point. So you can imagine like, I just want to get there and we're like gridlock. And I'm telling Amanda, like, go, go into the emergency lane and just go, you know. And so we were coming through Port Wentworth. There was a flatbed tow truck turned around right in front of us and it had my husband's truck on the back of it and I remember telling my mom he, I know I'm a widow like he did not make it through that so 
we continued on to the hospital, and as we got a little bit closer to Memorial, my, my father-in-law did call and tell me that, that it was, he confirmed that it was Trey that was there and um, that he did have a heartbeat. And so that gave me a little bit of, of hope. I called my friend Wendy that's here tonight and I just said, please, I need him and I need, my kids need him, like, just please pray. And so we continued on, we got to the hospital. Once we're there, we go into this big room and they said, we're working on him, like stay here, a doctor will come, you know. And it was two hours before a doctor came in that room and we just sat there praying. And I, I don't even think I could pray, to be honest with you. My, my mind was just everywhere else. So she came in and she told me that my husband had sustained a severe spinal cord injury and a bunch of other stuff that I did not understand. It might as well have been Chinese. And um, she clarified that though he was stable at this point, we were far from out of the woods. So um, she asked if I had any questions. I wanted to know his brain. What Was he going to know who I was, our kids? And she said he had sustained a brain injury as well, but that paled in comparison to the spinal cord injury. And so what had happened that morning, he was on the way to Gulfstream around Jimmy DeLoach, if you know where that is, and a log truck had pulled off onto the shoulder of the road. And when, the, when he pulled back out into the lane, he pulled right out in front of my husband. It was dark and foggy and raining, and the lady who was neck and neck with my husband in the, in the lane beside him said it looked like he ran into a black hole. She never even saw the vehicle, the, the log truck. And um, we were later told that the driver had pulled over to check his lights on the back because he knew that they did not always work properly. So we assume that was why he didn't see it. Um, the following day, um, after the accident, I was in, in the hospital room by myself. Now, the day that it happened, they were telling me, you know, he would have surgery, um, like a spinal fusion, but, you know, we had to wait a little while for swelling and stuff like that. They told me the doctor, the name of the doctor, and they said, he's a new doc. You don't want to hear that, <laughs> you know, and that bothered me, you know, in my, everything about me, I thought, I don't want a new doctor. Well, as God would have it, something happened with that doctor and he had to be called away for something else. So another neurosurgeon took his place, and his name is Dr. James Lindley. And he is, I knew his name, and I knew that he was known for being the best of the best in his field. And so um, that was just a way, I think, that God brought um, comfort to me. Not a huge part of the story, but just, just, a, just a, um, something that always sticks out to me. And so um, he knew that I needed <laughs> Dr. Lindley for what I'm about to tell you now. So that morning, five o'clock, it was the day after his surgery. They said he started making rounds about five. So I was in Trey's room and um, Dr. Lindley came in and began to explain things a little bit to me about the about his injury. I, I don't know what all he said, but, but I heard loss of hand function. And so I stopped him there and I said, what do you mean? I, all I had really grasped at that point was his legs were not, he was not moving his legs. So he knew right away that I did not comprehend um, the magnitude of what had happened to my husband. So he asked me to step outside the room. And so we stepped outside the room and he very gently explained to me that because my husband's spinal cord injury was at such a high level um, that he had lost hand function, his paralysis at this point was from the chest down. That for the first time I heard the word quadriplegic. I turned around and walked back in the room. Honestly, I don't even remember walking back in the room. Everything just kind of went white, but I was in the room just crying because every talent my husband has is in his hands. A guitar player, and if you know musicians, that's their, that's their therapy. You know, that's the way when he was angry, he played. When he was sad, he played. When he was happy, he played. He was a great artist, a uh, master carpenter. He could build anything, draw anything, and that's all I could think about. Um, 
So I told Dr. Lindley all of this, and I said he still has so much to teach his children with those hands like this can't be happening. And I, I was just sobbing, so alone. I'm the only one in the room with my husband in a coma and a doctor beside me. And I felt Dr. Lindley's arm around my shoulder, and I just kind of collapsed into him. And he held me in that moment when nobody else could. Literally, he held me as if a father would hold um, a child. And he told me, I, I give you my word that I will operate on your husband and I will treat him as if he were my own son. And that gave me a new peace about going forward, you know, with this operation. It was so scary, but it had to be done. But it, it just brought me a lot of peace. Shortly after I had that experience with Dr. Lindley, one of the nurses, one of the trauma nurses told me, did you know that Dr. Lindley worked on the team of doctors that um, that treated Christopher Reeves after his spinal cord injury. And I said, no, I did not know that. And so then I told everybody, Trey has Superman's doctor. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> so um, so mid-December, my world is upside down, um, and people kept coming to me, like, let us go buy the kids Christmas. You know, I was a last-minute shopper. Let us clean your house. Let us um, cook meals. Let us stock your pantry. Um, all of these things, let us, you know, clean your yards, and I just kept saying, you know, thanks, we're okay, and um, of course, I didn't realize, you know, the magnitude of that, so um, it was hard for me to accept help. I struggled with that for, I don't know why that was so hard for me, but it was, and so, you know, I just kept saying no, and they were persistent, and um, so one night, there was, there was a little respite room I could go in at night um, when we would have to leave the um, ICU room, and it was just like, you know, the size of like a walk-in closet or something with like a futon and a nightstand or something. But anyway, um, I just remember being in there, and like I said, I couldn't even, at that point, I don't think I ever even prayed for my husband. I didn't know, like I didn't know what, I couldn't. And I remembered that verse in Romans 8, um, it's 826, and it talks about how the Holy Spirit, when we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and takes those prayers to God. And so I just prayed that, like, you know, I just, like, Holy Spirit, take, like, take them from me because I can't. And um, now, like, it seems silly to struggle with um, accepting people's help in the midst of something like this. Like, why would that be such a big deal to me? But like I said, it was. And so I sat there quiet in that room, as quiet as I could be, and I almost audibly, you know those moments you have if, if you've ever experienced that. It's just you just hear it like it's in your spirit, like you know it's God. And um, he said, your groceries don't care who buy them, and your house doesn't care who cleans it, and your yards don't care who clean them, and Christmas presents don't care who, buy, who buys them, but your children and your husband need you. So rest in this help that I'm sending you so that you can be available for them. And um, that was just another sweet time with God that I felt like um, he was just so evidently there in the middle of all of that. So Trey was at Memorial for two weeks and then transferred to the Shepherd Center. His dad went with him. It was on December 23rd. And um, I stayed with the kids to kind of try and give them as normal of a Christmas as I could. And um, so my plan was to leave on the 27th and head up there. Well, on December the 26th, my mima. Um, passed away and went to be with Jesus and so we plan changed plans a little bit and um, so I would leave after the funeral well the day after the funeral I woke up with the full-blown flu like literally the full-blown flu with all three kids my mom is like my help you know <laughs> she's you know mourning her mother and with her you know and so it you know I was very alone and um, I have um, SVT if you know if you don't know what that is your heart 
will just race. Sometimes there's a trigger, sometimes there's not, not, it just happens. Well, about two or three nights into the flu, it was probably the, the infection, the viral infection that I had that caused it. But anyway, my pulse went up and it was around like 160. It was like middle of the night. And um, so I called an email. It's 160 is when I was told, like, you need to seek treatment if it gets to this point. So I called them. And so the guy, the EMT that comes to hook me up to the monitors, um, he's asking me a lot of questions. And I told him I was under a lot of stress. And um, so he asked me why. And I, you know, just told him a little bit. And he said, oh, that was your husband. And I said, yeah. So then he went on to tell me this short story. Um, there, so he had a friend who worked, who was an EMT also. And that morning, um, my, hus there, my, my husband's accident happened just before a red light. And so he's coming this way. Well, the opposite way, there was an ambulance that happened to be right there at that red light. And um, they, it was so foggy, they didn't even see that. They couldn't even see the accident happen. That's how foggy it was. They wouldn't, like, send the helicopter or anything because they couldn't fly like that. But anyway, they heard it, so they kind of followed their ears over there. And the EMT that this guy knew um, was the one who responded. And a log had come through the windshield, and my husband was slumped over that, and it was cutting off his airway. So this EMT told me, um, if your husband had had to wait for an ambulance to be dispatched, he wouldn't have made it because that would his airway would have been cut off for far too long. That was just another thread. Like, that was such a moment for me, like... It could have been worse. Like God was telling me, like I was there even then. I sent that for him even then. And that's hard for us to sometimes grasp that God is in the middle of tragedy, but he is. Um, so I recovered from the flu and um, we went to, I went to Shepherd Center and we had a medical team meeting with the doctors and such. And at Memorial, they had told me, you know, Trey's on a ventilator because um, his lungs need to, you know, kind of learn to do what to do again and, and learn to know what to do again and um, strengthen, so temporary. So in the medical team meeting, the doctor, very matter-of-factly, said, if your husband ever comes off of the ventilator, it's going to be a long time from now, and it's going to be a long process, very difficult. Well, that was terrifying for me, obviously. So I reached out through CaringBridge, if you know what that is, just like a way you can, like, you can type up an update, and then you can kind of share it on social media, and everybody sees it. So I reached out through Caring Bridge, like right after that. I was like, everybody needs to pray like this. Guy. And so um, it was only two weeks after that that his body started to fight against the ventilator. And only about three weeks before the doctor said, okay, let's see if he can wean. Put him in ICU. They weaned him off in 24 hours and um, never had a problem. And so... After posting the update of my praise for that, that Trey was, you know, off of the ventilator, um, God just kind of said to me, like, you see, I have all these people's attention. Hundreds of people were, like, sharing and commenting and, you know, reaching out, you know. And he said, I have all these people's attention. And there are so many of them who are lost and bound for hell. Or they're in a bad place. And this encouragement and reminder of prayer, the power of prayer, is right there for them to see. So... I just, um, I just thought it was really sweet that God was showing me purpose so early on because, you know, how our kids do to us. Why, why, why? And um, so God was answering that for me, you know, because we do that to God also. So my job at Shepherd Center was to, care, to learn to care for Trey. So I sat through class after class after class, learned things that I never thought I would um, have to know, things that would help give my husband a better quality of life and some things that would help that I would have to know to... Um, to keep him alive on a day-to-day -day basis. 
And um, this is, you know, I'm learning all of this stuff while I am still in shock and I'm trying to parent from four hours away. The Shepherd Center is in Atlanta, if you don't know that. Um, I was trying to figure out finances and insurance and, um, and filing for disability and uh, home modifications. And it was just a lot. Um, so that brings me to the time when it was, um, it was time for us to go home and I was terrified. We were there for four months at Shepherd. And when I tell you terrified, I mean I was scared. I didn't, just the drive home was enough. Like, I didn't want to do it. And so I'm responsible for, you know, all my children's care and everything that comes with being a mother and taking care of your house and, you know, all of these things. And now I'm going to be responsible literally for keeping my husband alive and well and somewhat <laughs> content, you know. Um, and uh, so that was, it was just a time of um, uncertainty, which was really, really scary. And God reminded me of um, that verse we all know, Jeremiah 29, 11. He knows the plans for our life. And this was not a surprise for him. And this is where I can now look back and see those years that I watched my mom cling to her faith. And I saw her eyes stay focused on God. Those were the years he spent preparing me for this time when I was going to have to rely on him. All of my help was going to come from him, just like it did for my mom. Um, so I thought about the community that we had built while we were there. Like I told you, you know, people were asking, like, what can we do? What can we do? And um, so I thought, you know, okay, well, things won't be so bad. You know, maybe, you know, we'll have help in this way or this way. Well, people, the community quickly dwindled, and people went back to their normal lives. And here we were, still in this um, nightmare every single day. And... Um, it was like Groundhog Day, you know, and um, there's not a typical day in my life. So it's hard for me to plan what's going to happen tomorrow at this point, because maybe he's doing well today. Maybe he's not doing well today. Maybe, um, you know, certain care is going to take longer today than it did yesterday. And, you know, so I had a few people who remained um, with me through that time. And um, but but even even I felt like they were starting to dread my phone calls and they were getting a little um, feeling the weight too much. We had become so heavy and it was hard for a small group of people to hang in, you know. So even them, some of them started to kind of dwindle and this caused a lot of pain and loneliness um, for, for me. And I just began to suffer in silence because I wouldn't ask for help anymore. I would rather just figure it out myself. And I started to um, I was stretched really thin, and I started to not even recognize who I was. Um, my dream in life from the time I was a little girl was to be a wife and a mother. I hated that question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Because you're supposed to give the answer like a teacher or a veterinarian or whatever, and like none of those things were ever in my mind. I wanted to be a wife and a mom. That's what my heart desired, truly desired. And that, that maybe in my teenage years I might have thought other things, but, you know, really that was my heart. Um, and I wanted to be the mom that was patient and fun. You know, how you picture yourself to be. <laughs> and you take your kids on adventures. And, you know, you, you volunteer for everything at school. And you teach their Sunday school classes and all those things. And Trey and I had spent time, you know, talking about, you know, traveling. Like, things that we wanted to see. He's traveled a lot. I have not. But, you know, some of the things that he had seen that he would want to take his kids to see. And um, so, you know, that's just kind of how life was planned out. You know, like, that's what I wanted. So now here I am, I can't even to remember to like pack their lunches every day. Somebody was leaving without a lunch or without a form signed or, you know, I'm forgetting to send like money for the special things at school. God bless the people at my children's school. They always had me covered. But 
Um, adventures with my children now felt like work, and I just didn't even want to, you know. I was yelling at them for things I wouldn't normally get, you know, angry or upset about because my patience was gone, and we definitely were not baking or traveling <laughs> or doing any of those things I dreamed that we would do, and it's just not how I pictured life to be. Um, and as a wife, I didn't really feel like a wife anymore. Um, the care that my husband requires is very difficult to um, separate caregiver of wife. And we're six years in, and it's still difficult to separate caregiver of wife. I don't know that I'll ever get that right, but, but it affects every part of us. Um, I didn't lose my husband that day, but I did lose the man that um, he's no longer with me. There are glimpses of him, but he's never coming back. And um, one of the hardest things that I've ever done is to mourn the man that sleeps beside me every night. And I can't tell you in words the pain that it brings to see your once able-bodied husband who was so capable of, you know, anything he wanted to do, um, now struggle to do things like put his socks on, brush his teeth. Um, it's, it's very difficult. Um, I just miss being his wife. You know, I miss that that's something that, you know, in our marriage. And... Um, and because we're struggling with so many other things, a lot of time attention doesn't go to our marriage like it should or would have, you know, had that injury never happened. And um, then there's the aspect of seeing my children hurt and suffer through this. And, you know, they long for that dad that can, you know, get out in the yard and play ball and, you know, protect them when they leave the house. My girls struggle with that. They don't, you know, they, they're sometimes not comfortable going certain places if it's just dad. And um, they're aware, you know, of that. And that's heartbreaking. And I could give you a hundred examples of ways that it affects my children and they verbalize those. But God has been kind of, you know, gently reminding me that just to show them the same way that my mom showed me, you know, this is my opportunity to give them the same picture of faith that my mom gave me. And I'd love to tell you that one day this miraculous thing happened and I, <laughs> and that I'm no longer afraid to ask for help and that um, life is just like I pictured it and I'm the wife and mother that I always hoped I'd be. And, um, but that's not, that's, not, that's not what has happened. Um, there's not a pretty bow on my story. It's still going every single day. Um, but there's a God who sustains my needs um, and my family's needs and there's not one specific way that he does it. Um, sometimes he's creative and kind of sneaky <laughs> in providing in certain ways. And, and sometimes I sweat and panic, but he always shows up on, in his time. Um, one thing that he has so graciously blessed me with is a new perspective, an eternal perspective, um, which is really difficult to, to see. So I know that it was him that gave me this, um, this perspective because it's, it's not my own, not my flesh. Um, and it wasn't overnight. It's been a gradual thing. So not long after... Um, we had returned home. Trey began to struggle with sadness and anger and, uh, you know, those feelings that feeling less than as a man, um, not being able to do these things that he used to do. God brought to my attention that so much energy and effort had been put on the physical, praying for his legs to work again and his, his hands to work again and, you know, for him to be healed and whole physically. So he prompted, God prompted me to write a letter to, to the leaders in our church to kind of express my heart in that way. And I sat down and typed. I had none of this in my mind when I sat down and typed, so I know it was God. But I'm just going to read you a little part of that letter. Um, it says, I'm writing to ask you to pray for Trey. He is struggling in many ways. More than anything, he's struggling spiritually. Obviously, he has many physical struggles along with the mental and emotional struggles. However, as you know, when the spiritual man is sick, the rest of the man cannot heal fully or properly. If Trey regains the use of his hands and legs again, that will be amazing. 
and it will open up a new life for us, one that might be similar to life before his accident. But if the spiritual man doesn't heal, then what good is the physical man to himself and his family? Sure, he would be capable of protecting us and providing for us, maybe even play his guitar again, dance with his girls, or play ball with his son. Those things all sound like a dream come true in our world, and how I pray with desperation for the day that that might happen. But what if those things happen, but his spiritual man is still sick? He can't lead our family daily in the Lord's will. He can't pass on the inheritance of eternal life to the ones who call him daddy. He can't do his part in sustaining a Christ-centered marriage. He can't fulfill the purpose God put him on this earth to fulfill. In some ways, I think almost too much emphasis has been put on his physical healing. That's hard for me to say, and by no means does it have anything to do with my lack of desire to see that happen. More so, it has to do with the presence of desire I have to see Trey delivered from the emotional, mental, and spiritual chains that bind him. To put it simply, I would rather have him spiritually well than physically abled. And like I said, that's only a perspective that God can give a grieving wife. And I'd like to tell you that Trey is past all of that, and every day is beautiful and wonderful, and we have this, you know, perfect perspective on life. And um, but he's he still struggles. He still struggles. He's come a long way, but he still struggles with those times. If you're around him, you'll never know it. Um, he love he's funny. He has a good sense of humor, so he's all, he always wants to make people laugh, and that's what you'll see from him. But I see him at night when he can't sleep, and he's alone with his thoughts, and. Um, you know, the loss is very in his face in, in the, you know, during those times. And I imagine that this might be um, how he, how it happens for the rest of his natural life. He might always be kind of on that up and down. But, but Trey is a man that's full of perseverance and determination. If you know him, you know that. And so I know he won't stop fighting to be the best version of himself he can be in whatever he has been given. So, um, how do I remain okay through all of this? I don't. Um, there are a lot of days that I'm not okay, and that's okay. I'm learning that. Um, God doesn't promise us that we'll always be okay. And Paul, um, in 2 Corinthians, um, this has ministered to me a lot, where he talks about um, the thorn that he was given. Um, and he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships, persecutions and in difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so if I walk around like I'm okay all the time, that's not doing anything for the kingdom of God. And that's really what we're all doing, right? We're all, we've all been told by society that you got to be okay. You got to hold your own, you know, keep it together. Um, your marriage has got to look perfect. You've got to look perfect. You got to you got to live in this house, and you got to live in this neighborhood, and then you got to drive this car, and your kids have to go to this college, and you know all these things have to be this way. And don't struggle. And if you do, don't let anybody know because then you're going to look weak. And so we're all walking around <laughs> broken. And God didn't mean for it to be that way. He meant for us to be in fellowship together, to boast in our weaknesses, like Paul said. That's what He meant for us to do. And um, really, what God has laid on my heart, it's time to drop the masks and the act. And we need to go to our sisters in Christ and let them know, this is what I need prayer for. You know, we, we should all have those people that we can go to. And what if we did that? Can you imagine what it would look like if we were real with each other? Like, if we really got real and said, you know, like, yesterday, I had an eternal perspective, but today, 
I just want to run. Like, I don't even want to be in this marriage anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, I just want to go. Because there are days when I feel like that. I feel like I can't, not one more day, I can't. And, um, but I always, if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to tell you I'm doing okay. I'm fine. I'm fine, you know. And it shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. Hebrews tells it when we share with each other what's going on, then you, if I share with you, you can pray for me. And that gives you a, that gives me a little less burden to know that you're praying for me. And um, Hebrews, it tells us that we can approach the throne of God with confidence and boldness. Like that's a pretty big deal, I feel like. And um, that's where we find the mercy and grace we need in our, in our time to help us in our time of need. So that was me taking you to church tonight. <laughs> and um, in addition to that, um, John 15, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And it tells us a little bit further down that apart from me, you can do nothing. And um, if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Um, so that's an, that, those, are, those are a little bit more of what kind of helps me through um, is abiding in him. And I don't always do it right, um, but it's where I come back to because that's what I was shown my whole life. So, you know, that new perspective just kind of like we wouldn't have experienced God's love in the way that we have apart from this tragedy. And that kind of came with that new perspective that I have. And um, my children have witnessed that from other people loving us and, and watching those provisions be made um, through this time. And I know they'll never forget it. And the other thing I wanted, I wanted you to take away from this is how you can help somebody else because that's a big thing. People don't know what to do whenever something like this happens. It's foreign to us. So I just wanted to tell you from my heart, um, if you know somebody living with long-term tragedy, um, be there later, later, like later when the dust settles and that terrible thing that happened to that family is a memory to you it's not a memory to them it's life every single day so be there the whole time I have found that I tend to not go now when something happens to somebody I stay until later because there's so many people I know they're knocking down the door you know so I stay and you know just kind of keep my distance until later when I know those phone calls are probably not coming anymore and don't let me know if there's anything I can do for you. So guilty of that. Don't say that. How can I best help you? Can I bring you a meal? Do you need some laundry done? Can I pick up your laundry? And if they say, no, I got it, I'm good, pick a thing. Okay, I'm going to bring you a meal next week. Which Tuesday or Thursday works for me? Which one works better for you? Don't give them a choice. Like, they need the help, I promise you. But they're not probably, if they're anything like me, and a lot of people are because being a burden gets heavy. You would say you're not a burden, but it feels like that to us. And so don't give them a choice. Let them know how you're going to help and narrow it down for them. What night is better for you? Be sensitive in how to help them. If you're going to take them a meal, make sure it's okay that you bring it to their house. Maybe it, maybe at the time around just before dinner time that you would bring it, 4.30 or 5 o'clock. Maybe that's a time when um, their schedule requires them to, they don't want the pressure to have to visit or entertain. So, you know can I leave it with your sister and maybe she can bring it to you? Or how do you want me to do that for you? Um, if you give monetarily, um, and this is going to sound maybe a little bit odd to some of you, but if you've ever experienced anything like I have, you might understand. Give anonymously if you can. Um, again, like being needy is so exhausting. And when you are that way long term, 
I, ca I can't put it into words. Give anonymously. It's easier. It's easier on the receiver to not have to feel that burden to make sure that we thank you enough. Or if that, I don't know if even that makes sense, but it's a thing. <laughs> Help the community stay a community for these people. Like those few that stayed with me should have never felt all of that heaviness. There should have been other people in the body of Christ. I'm not talking about in the Baptist church that she goes to or the Methodist church that she goes to. The body of Christ as a whole should be helping. That's how God intended it to be, community. Um, most importantly, the other thing that's missing, that has been missing throughout this whole thing for me is spiritual community. When people don't, when, when it's not familiar, we tend to stay away, like avoid it. I don't know what to say. I might say the wrong thing. What if I, you know, so we just don't. Don't be afraid to approach it and, you know, send, make a phone call, send a text, send a card, snail mail still works. And it's really nice to get those on a day that you think you're just opening the mailbox to have 30 hospital bills come, come at one time and you see a card and it's just a little bit of encouragement. Um, so do those things, pray for them and pray with them, with them with them over the phone in their house at church when you see them. doesn't have to be at the altar. Stop them. Go sit by them. I'm going to pray with you. It doesn't even have to be this long, drawn-out thing. Just just a short prayer. Like, I, I know, you still need this. And as believers, God has given us light, not to keep to ourselves, but to share. We know that. We all know that. This quote, it was stuck out to me when I read it earlier this week. It says, Do not be dismayed by the brokenness of the, this world. All things break. All things can be mended. Not with time, as they say, but with intention. So go and love intentionally, extravagantly, and unconditionally. The broken world awaits for the, in darkness for the light that is you. Thank you for listening. You know, one of the things that really spoke to me in Toby's story is when she talked about asking for help. You know, I think that whether or not we've gone through a tragedy or a difficult circumstance, asking for help is just never easy. And to me, I wrote this down and just have reminded myself of it multiple times since I heard her story when God told her, your house doesn't care who cleans it. Your groceries don't care who buys them. Right. Allow people to help <laughs> yes. you, you know? Yes. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help and don't, you know, the feeling like mm -hmm. a burden. Yes. Right. I, right. As I've walked with different friends or family members through grief, it's almost a sense of trying to grasp control of the situation. Mm. But I, someone gave me this nugget and I just love to pass it on to others going through this. It's grieve and receive. Just hold your hands out and receive help from your neighbors or your friends mm -hmm. or others when they say, can I go to the grocery store for you? Say, yeah. yes, can you grab yeah. me this? I know yeah. it's so hard to do, but her words just really validated that for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When, um, when I first listened to this story, I, I want to thank Toby because I've literally listened to the story and I immediately texted a friend who had gone through a tragedy months ago. And, um, and one of the things that, that she said was just to continue to reach out because I do think that sometimes when somebody walks through a tragedy, everybody is there immediately. What can I do? How can I help? And, and they're, they're sending meals, but then maybe six months go by, maybe a year goes by and nobody checks in anymore. And my friend who had walked through this tragedy at one time said to me, everybody's gone on with their life. Nobody cares anymore. And I, and I said to her, yes, they do. They do care. But I could see where she's coming from because people had stopped bringing the casseroles over and calling her and checking in because yes, life does go on. But, but it just taught me, Toby's story taught me to try to think a little bit outside of myself <laughs> at yeah. times and, and reach out to others who've walked through a tragedy. And one other thing that 
that she said was she said, don't say, what can I do to help? Or let me know what I can do to help. Right. She said, just do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. that was another thing. Cause I've said that so many times to people oh, yeah. walking through something. I, I say, you know, what can I do to help? Let me know how I can help you. Mm-hmm. And I mean it, but they're not going to say, Oh, well, Katie, will you please go buy my groceries today? You know, a they're just times, not going yeah. to. The Holy Spirit will prompt you for something a lot of the yeah. times. And my biggest downfall is not following through with that prompting. Right. Yes. So really following through. Mm-hmm. Good intentions are the pathway to hell. That's yeah. what my dad used to say. <laughs> but, but that's how I live. But we, we feel yeah. like we, we need yeah, permission. So we feel like we have to have permission. And I think it's because we're scared to intrude. But, or offending. But, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But really you know, step up and, and just take the initiative and, and you don't know how you'll bless someone. You know, mm-hmm. kind of on that same note, I have a friend who also walked through a difficult time and I, I don't even remember doing this, but not long ago, and this happened several years ago and not long ago, she said, you know, you asked me in that time how, what, how I could specifically pray for her. And she said, you were the only person that did that. And I was mm-hmm. like, I mean, you know, I didn't even remember, but to her, it meant so much. And she's like, I use that all the time now. I'm like, how can I specifically pray for you right mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. I like Toby's, um, not only how she kind of told us, this is how you can care for someone, but what really spoke to me from her story again, was just that she immediately, she started out by saying, this is how my mom handled things. And, and this is how I saw my mom turning to the Lord. And, and then it affected her later because then that's how, um, you know, she, she said, where does my help come from? My help comes oh, from yeah. the Lord. And mm-hmm. she learned that from her mom. And I thought, Oh, hello. What am I teaching my children? Yeah, like, what right. are they learning just from my actions? From my I mean, my children know that if I make a casserole, that usually someone has passed and I'm taking it. <laughs> Sadly, that's, it means, that's what but, we do but, in the South. It's but it's a, good, it's a good example of, you know, taking that initiative, but, but what am I teaching my kids as, as far what as foundations. how, I, how yeah. I handle things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and, and also along those lines, you know, her saying, um, my help comes from the Lord. It's also a good reminder to us that, you know, Toby has a physical reminder to her every day that her help has to come from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Many of us who aren't experiencing the struggles that she's going through, don't go to the Lord because we think we can do it all on our own. She has to go before him because she knows her help is coming from him. It's a reminder to me that maybe I'm not walking the road that Toby's walking, but I need to approach every day of my life as my help comes from the Lord. I can get through this. His grace is enough for me for this day and positioning myself to receive mm-hmm. that from him, just yeah. like she positions herself because she has that physical need every single day. Kind of on that that topic of when she went kind of to bat for her husband, you know, when she wrote the letter to her church yeah. about reaching out, she said he may physically, he may be stable, but spiritually he is struggling. And she actually says, I would rather have him spiritually well than physically able. Yeah. That and was powerful. So even, even not just reaching out for herself, but reaching out on her husband's behalf. One of the last things that Toby left us in her story was a quote that she said, love intentionally, extravagantly, and unconditionally. I think that is, you know, something that each one of us, every person out there listening to this podcast can take with them today is to love intentionally, extravagantly, and unconditionally. 
We're so thankful to Toby for her story. And thanks for listening today and joining us. And we would love for you to follow us online on Instagram and Facebook. If you have any feedback, we always love to hear it. So send us a message at Storytellers Live Podcast on Instagram or Facebook, or you can join our email list at storytellerslive.org. And thank you again for subscribing and sharing our stories on, on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you use. We just, we love when people share our stories and we get amazing feedback and just the things you'll say. So have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.